today, we are in Titus 3, uh, beginning with verse 1. Titus is in the New Testament, and Titus is actually a letter written from the Apostle Paul uh, to one of his church interns, Titus. Paul had a couple interns, Timothy and Titus, and so this is one of the letters. And what Paul, the Apostle Paul would do is he would travel around the Mediterranean Rim, planting churches, growing disciples and planting churches, and then he would move on after some time, and he would leave a group of leaders, uh, and oftentimes a pastor, to stay and Plan, uh, continue to lead in that church. And then uh, occasionally um, things would kind of go sideways or wonky. And so Paul would write letters to these pastors saying, hey, um, I hear there's problems in the church and I want to encourage you. And here's some ways that I think that you could uh, fix the church. That's why um, Titus and Timothy are part of this collection of New Testament letters called the pastoral epistles. So it's in that genre. Um, Titus is uh, serving on the island of Crete. Uh, that's where he is at. And uh, uh, Crete has got a reputation of wild living and lots and lots of immorality. And that immorality is seeping and creeping into the church. And so Paul hears about this. And in, in his letter to Titus, he says, hey, I need you to straighten things out there. Uh, and I want to encourage you to build a healthy church as you are uh, serving there on the island of Crete. And so we've kind of developed this sermon series around um, the book of Titus. And we're calling it Titus, a blueprint for a healthy church. Uh, and it's really uh, this encouragement for how do you live a faithful, Jesus-filled lives in the midst of lots of immorality and problems going on uh, around us, and, and certainly with that always trying to creep into the church. So we began a couple weeks ago really looking at this idea of uh, building um, the soil on the soil of Jesus Christ, at the foundation with leaders uh, in place uh, who are leading by example, uh, having sound plumb lines, uh, which is really about the truth, right? This is our plumb line. And it, over and over, uh, Paul goes back to doctrine, uh, the doctrine of the church and why that's so important. Then the last two weeks, we've looked at uh, building, uh, having reputable builders uh, to come and do the work. Uh, and they talked a little bit about uh, young uh, men, old men, young women, old women. And then last week we talked about, or Paul uh, wrote about, and we talked about slaves. And we talked about this whole idea of slaves obey your masters. And it was this idea of doulos. And uh, I know many of you were here for that. We're going to continue on uh, as we go through Titus today, and the, the kind of the fifth element of this building project uh, for a healthy church is stay focused. Don't get distracted. So now Paul is writing to Titus, and he's speaking to all of us. Hey, you get into a building project, don't get distracted. Stay focused on the work before you. All right, everybody in Titus 3? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for this uh, Kairos moment this morning, God, that we can just set our clocks down and be reminded, God, that you're going to show up when you show up. And, and uh, so, Lord, just help us to set aside the things that we might have brought in this morning, the distractions, the frustrations, the hurt, the pain, whatever it might be. And, Lord, help us to just collectively gather around your word 
as we continue to worship you and listen to what you want to say to us. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, about nine months ago, uh, our family had a visitor from Northern Ireland. His name is Terry, and we've known Terry. My wife has known Terry. They went to actually boarding school in Kenya many years ago, and so he's kind of like a, a surrogate brother, and uh, he and his wife, Kristen, live in Northern Ireland, and it was really fun to just sit around and, and talk about all things Northern Ireland and what's going on in the U.S. and across Europe and around the world to just get that other perspective. One of the things we love about Terry and Kristen is, is not just their global perspective, uh, but also that they uh, are a little unusual in that they raise chickens as just kind of something to do there in Northern Ireland. And so we spent a lot of time talking about chickens and all things chickens. And then the conversation shifted a little bit to chickens and predators of chickens. And so it was just really rich and fun. But I got to thinking... You know, uh, a, a chicken, of course, is a bird, and some of the predators of chickens, of course, are birds. So why can't a chicken fly like other birds? So my curiosity got the best of me, and I started doing a little bit of research on uh, chickens and uh, the peregrine falcon uh, to really understand uh, what the difference. And so. One of the things I learned about chickens, and those of you who grew up on farms or know more about chickens, forgive me, I had to go to Google and learn about chickens. But the, the reason why chickens don't fly, well, there's not a lot of agreement about it. But one, some say, well, chickens can fly, they just don't fly very well. Others uh, say, well, chickens used to fly, um, but they don't fly anymore um, because uh, they've been domesticated right? I mean, why go flying and hunting for food when the farmer just gives you some grain right there? And then over time, their wings, of course, just got very weak because they don't need to fly and they, you know, develop some pretty good feet to be able to just kind of walk around. And so the chicken, of course, is a domesticated uh, bird and it's uh, kind of lost focus in terms of what God created it for to be about. They're protected, and things are really easy for a chicken. Easy feeding, comfortable living, and then the chicken stops learning how to fly or fly very well. Now, the peregrine falcon, on the other hand, it's not just the fastest bird on the planet. I also learned that the peregrine falcon is actually the fastest animal on the planet. And what the peregrine falcon does is it flies really high, and then it goes into a dive. And as it's diving down on the hunt, it can go up to 240 miles an hour. That's fast, right? I mean, just think about how fast that peregrine falcon is flying through the air. And the thing about the peregrine falcon is it gets at its top speed when it is absolutely focused on the hunt. Now juxtapose these two birds. Both of them were created to fly. One of them has lost the ability to fly because of easy living, because it's been taken care of. And the other one has honed its flying skills to such a degree that it is now the fastest animal on the planet. 
One lost focus, one got distracted by all the pleasures and cares of the world, and the other one is on the hunt. Have you ever met someone who used to be a really strong Christian, but maybe they got distracted by the concerns of life? Maybe they fell into a really comfortable lifestyle, and over time, they stopped believing in Jesus or following Jesus. Or maybe you know of a church that once, a time, once upon a time was really focused on the gospel of making and growing disciples and planting churches, but has fallen completely apart because they got distracted by all the things going on in the world. I know entire church bodies, and you do too, that no longer are about the mission that God has put them on this earth. See, God created us. God created the church as Jesus followers to be peregrine falcons. And so many Christians have gotten distracted. It's easy to get distracted, right? And this is why the Apostle Paul was writing to Titus in the church on the island of Crete. As they got distracted, they lost their focus about why God had put them strategically on this island to be all about and, the, and Paul, over and over in his writings, he writes about the fundamentals. He has to keep reminding Titus and the church, this is who you are. This is why God put you right here. Let me explain the gospel again to you. And so we're going to pick it up here in Titus 3, beginning with verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to the rulers and the authorities. <clears throat> Isn't it interesting that we've just come through the pandemic and there was this tension between the church and the rulers and the authorities. Of course, that's the government officials. And so it, I, I think it's really interesting that here is a text that Paul is directing the church, you got to follow the rules of the land. That's why those rulers are in place. The government officials are in a position of authority. You need to be subject or to obey. And so I would just say to all of us today, follow the speed limit and pay your taxes. It's in Scripture. And this isn't the only place in Scripture where we are told to obey the rulers and the authorities. Other places, in the book of Romans and some other places, for sure. But the thing is, Jesus followers, we need to always remember about the rules and regulations and uh, whatever the government tells us to do as citizens of the nation. These rules are not absolute. In other words, when the rules and regulations of the land do not conflict with Scripture, then we are to obey. Drive the speed limit. And pay your taxes. But every now and then, the government hands down some rules to us, right? And we struggle with this because it's like, wait a second, this is in conflict with Scripture. And we can think throughout history of different examples where Christians, Jesus followers, um, the, the government came to the, to the church or to everybody and said, hey, you need to do this. And the Christians said, wait a second. This is not in scripture. This is not biblical. We cannot obey the rules of the government. 
And when those situations arise, it puts us in this funny place. It puts us in this place where we have to really be discerning. Sometimes these, these uh, events are called civil disobedience, right? And mo probably the most famous is Martin Luther King Jr., where the laws of the land were such that suppressed a group of Americans. He said, wait a second. We've got to talk about what the rules of the land are and how this is working. And as I think about the pandemic, uh, especially because that's fresh on all our minds, right? I don't think it's so much this idea of civil disobedience. I like to think of it more as godly obedience. Because sometimes these things are in conflict with one another, and we have to decide how we are going to live our lives. And as Jesus followers, I want to remind us again, we are citizens of the kingdom of God first and citizens of this great nation of the United States of America second. Our allegiance is to God and his word first and foremost. And hopefully most of the time the rules of the land are going to line up with what uh, scripture says. But when they don't, we've got to be discerning about this. Now, where's the precedence uh, for this in Scripture? There's lots of different areas where people are kind of uh, going against the government officials. I think one of the more uh, well-known passages of Scripture is in the book of Acts, where Peter and John were preaching the gospel. They were out in the public square preaching the gospel. The government authority said to them, stop preaching the gospel. And they said, now we're not going to stop preaching the gospel. I mean, just a direct government order against what Jesus has commanded uh, them and us to be about. And there was this conflict. So they threw Peter and John into jail. And then there was this exchange uh, as they are on trial. It's recorded in Acts 4. Then the officials called them again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So again, we follow the rules of the land, right? We obey the speed limit. We pay our taxes. We do what the, the civil authorities have told us to be about. We follow the rules of the land. But make no mistake about it. Our ultimate allegiance is to God and to Jesus Christ. And we need to be discerning. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, yeah, but come on. Some of those rules, especially during the pandemic, they were pretty unrealistic. And by the way, I don't really like our president, our governor, or any of our local officials. Right? I want to remind you that the Apostle Paul wrote these things when Nero, Emperor Nero, who was a really bad dude, who was way worse than our governor or president or, you know, any politician that you might want to put up there, he was in charge at the time. So as regardless of who is in political power, Paul says we have got to respect and be subject uh, to the governing authorities. And it's not about rebellion, but it truly is about obedience to God's word. Remind the people to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle toward everyone. Not just towards the Christians, not just towards my family, not just towards the people I like, not just towards the people that think like I do, but we are to be all those things that Paul lists off to everyone. This is who God has called us to be as Jesus followers.
We are to be loving and kind to everyone, gentle. We're to be self-controlled. So how do we do this? Paul explains to us, you know, he gives us kind of these list of things. It's not like how you feel like you should behave towards others, but he says, I want you to be self-controlled. And the biblical idea of this is, uh, the concept is, is meek. Remember, you, we even know this in, in the, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching and preaching on the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. And we hear the word meek, we oftentimes think weak, right? But the idea of meek is not weak. The idea is actually strength under control. And I think one of the most helpful images of this is that little bit in a horse's mouth. I mean, a horse weighs about a thousand pounds. And in order to control that house, that strength of that great majestic animal is this little piece of metal that may, you know, certainly weighs less than a pound. That's how a horse is under control. It's called a bit, right? That's the idea of what meek means. It's having that thing in your mouth that can help control your body, your emotions, your thoughts, all those things. This is what Paul is describing, what we are supposed to be about. We are supposed to be gentle, peaceable, considerate toward everyone. So then Paul shifts gears a little bit. He's kind of described how we're supposed to behave and then he talks about what he talks about over and over throughout Scripture is that commands flow out of declarations. Commands flow out of declarations. Now, in case you haven't been to English class in a while, uh, I want to unpack this a little bit. Martin Luther said it this way. When it comes to understanding God's story, imperatives always follow indicatives. And you're like, I did not come to English class today, right? But we're going to take apart sentence structure and map out sentences. But Luther, of course, was a great thing. By the way, do you guys know that today is Reformation Sunday? A Sunday where once a year we remember that how the church collectively got distracted, got off target and many, many people said, wait a second, we need to get back and we need to be focused back on Scripture. But Luther said this, when, you know, when it comes to understanding God's story, and I think this is so important for us today, imperatives always follow indicatives. Now, indicatives are those statements, and it's basically, uh, as we think about Scripture, what God has done. An indicative is a statement. This is what God has done. That's always first. And out of those indicatives are imperatives. And imperatives are, this is what you are to do. And we can never get these things uh, mixed up in order, but oftentimes we do because we read something like this in Scripture where Paul is telling Titus and us, this is how you should behave. But, but Luther and others, and over and over throughout Scripture, Paul says, what we need to do is make sure we first understand this is what God has done. And because what God has done, this then is how you should live your lives. And so what Paul is doing is he's telling us, he's telling Titus, this is how we should lead our lives. But before we do that, you must never forget what God has done, what Jesus has done for you. Because when you have been so impacted and understand what God has already done, that the grace of God comes at you, you cannot help but be overwhelmed saying, oh my goodness, look what God has done for me. He's so good. He died for me. And it's this idea that we over and over we just focus 
and celebrate what God has done. And because what he has done, then we can go and do and live who God has called us to be about. And then what Paul is doing and explaining to Titus is this whole idea, he's just going to go right, he's just going to explain the gospel again. Just going to go back into it. And this is how Paul uh, writes to Titus to explain the gospel. He says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And so what Paul does is he begins just kind of laying the foundation. This is what it means to be human. This is your Adam condition. When you were born, you inherited this trait. It's called sin. It's called brokenness. And apart from Jesus Christ, we are hateful and we just throw out hate towards others. We receive it and we give it away over and over and over. Apart from Jesus Christ... We are foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Through Genesis through Revelation, over and over, we hear this time and time again. The default of the human condition is sin and brokenness. And how different is that message than the message we hear in the world today. The message in the world today that we get just bombarded with over and over and over is you're fine. You're good. You do you. I do me. We just all agree that we're all good. See, the communication of the world comes to us and says that we're good, that we're fine. There's nothing wrong with us message of the gospel of scripture over and over is no no the default of the human condition is brokenness and sin the prince of preachers uh, Charles Spurgeon kind of the Billy Graham of his day said it this way and this is why it matters so much he says too many think lightly of sin and therefore lightly of the savior This is the problem, I think one of the fundamental problems we live in today in this world, is people just don't think there's anything wrong with them. They think too lightly of their sin. They just think they're mistake, mistakers, right? They're not sinners. And when we don't think our sin really matters that much or it's that big a deal, of course we don't really think that we, why would we need a savior if we're really not that bad? But Paul makes it crystal clear, hey, don't get distracted. You're bad news. I was talking to a group of guys this week, and they said, hey, what are you going to preach on this Sunday? And I said, sin. Oh, that sounds like a really upper right. Great message. But we cannot understand the gospel, the good news, if we don't understand the bad news first. Without Jesus, we are broken. We are messed up. And we've got to just kind of lay that as the foundation, the default of our condition is sin. This is why the Presbyterian pastor, another guy, I I really like how he says this, a guy by the name of Francis Schaeffer says it this way. If I only have one hour with someone, I will spend the first 55 minutes asking questions and finding out what is troubling their heart and mind. 
You hear it? The, the sin. Well, I'm going to spend the first 55 minutes just listening to their brokenness and the sin that is over with them. And then I'll spend the last five minutes and share something of the truth. I like that. I like that a lot for a lot of reasons. And one, it's that invitation for us to acknowledge the sin and the brokenness of your life and my life and those around the world. Number two, I like it because I think it's really important because we oftentimes start speaking. I think we need to spend more time listening to people, listening to their brokenness, acknowledging the ways in which they are separated from God. And then in the last five minutes, we can say, hey, I got good news for you. I hear the sin. I hear the brokenness. I hear the hurt, the pain. But let me tell you some good news. That's Pastor Presbyterian Francis Schaefer. We got to deal with the sin. We have to push back against this culture that looks at us and say, oh, you're special. You're so good. God loves you just the way you are. Don't change. Just you be you. Be your authentic self. I mean, we hear this all the time, right? Every day. Maybe we're even numb to it. Paul says, nope, you're not okay. You need fixing. You need help. And I love how Paul gets us to move beyond this. He just calls it out as a lie. You're not okay. And then he, he doesn't just leave us hanging there. That apart from Jesus Christ, we are separated from God. There is nothing we can do. We are in our sin. But he, gives us, he throws us a lifeline. But when this kindness, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. What is my role in my salvation? Paul says, here's your role in your salvation. You sinned. That's what you did. That's your, that's your role. That's, that's how you accomplished your salvation. You were the sinner. God was the one who came to you in Jesus Christ and rescued you. And we're religious people, right? And so we try to build bridges to God. We do all sorts of things. And this is why it's so important that we get the, the order right. First, God saves us. Then we do good things. But oftentimes we forget and we get them wrong. And we go through life and we do different good things. And we think to ourselves and maybe when we say outside, out, out loud, hey, look at that great thing I did. God's looking at me going, man, that is so awesome, Brian. Look what you did. You helped that person out. And God, in reality, God looks at us and says, man, you are a messed up sinner. I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you first. You can have your religion, but make no mistake about it. You are saved by grace. It's by what God has done for us. And Paul says this uh, in Timothy, t Titus 3, uh, 4, and 5. But when the kindness and love of God, uh, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of our righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. His mercy. See, mercy means that we get what we don't deserve. You know what I deserve? The hottest place in hell. That's what I get on my own, apart from Jesus Christ. I don't deserve God's grace in my life. There's nothing I have done or could do. And so scripture tells us that God just comes to us in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our separation, and I'm going to give you and rescue you. The example I was thinking of this week is be like, all of a sudden you wake up in an ambulance, right? And you're like, oh, what happened? 
And the EMTs are looking over you and they're, they're going, yeah, you've been in a really bad accident. And you're like, oh, well, I need to, I need to do something to help save me. I need, you know, you, you, can I do the IV thing? Or, and, and the EMTs look at you and go, no, just lay there. We're going to take care of you. We're going to get you. We're going to save you. We're going to rescue your life. That's our role in our salvation. We just lay there and we just allow the grace of God to take us uh, to, to Jesus so that we can be healed. Okay, verse 6. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. He says he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. What Paul is saying to Titus and what he's saying to us is this happens through rebirth and renewal. And renewal literally means made new. That we're made new when we receive what God has given us through Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I think about what Jesus has done for me, I think, well, he's fixed me. That's not what this is about. This is about being made brand new. Uh, in, in another place in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this to the church. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I mean, do you know that you're a new creation? You're not a just fixed creation. When you are in Christ, you are a brand new creation. A couple of years ago, um, Jeff and I were having lunch uh, over by the Binnie's, uh, what do you call it, liquor store, I guess, um, at an Indian restaurant over there, and we had a great lunch meeting. I came out to my car, and a grocery cart from Binnie's, uh, it was a windy day, Bloomington, right? A grocery cart had come across uh, the parking lot from Binnie's, and it just T-boned my car. So I came out from our lunch and I'm like, oh great, this is awesome, you know? And then I walked over to Benny's and right on the store of Benny's it says, we are not responsible for grocery carts, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, awesome. I got a dent, you know, dent in my car. And it's kind of irritated me for the last couple of years, but I haven't really done anything about it because it's cosmetic and I'm just like, okay, whatever. Well, a few months ago, I was at Hy-Vee grocery store. I went in to get some groceries. I came back out, I'm putting the groceries in my car, and I see there's a grocery cart right next to my car. This time, it really damaged my car, but here's the crazy thing. It hit the exact same spot on my car, but it added some more dents to my car. I went into the Hy-Vee grocery store, and I said, hey, um, a grocery cart ran into my car, and, uh, you know, did some damage to it. And they said, okay, well, let's check the video. So they went and checked the video, and they came back out uh, to me, and they said, you're right. Uh, the person put it away in the corral. The wind got a hold of it, blew it, and ran into your car. We'll take care of the damages for you. I'm like, awesome. So then I took my car to the car auto body place uh, to get it fixed. I dropped it off for just a couple days. Again, this was in the exact same spot from a couple years ago. I'm like, sweet, I get this fixed. I mean, how, how does this even happen? Some of, some of you might be saying, oh, that's just a coincidence, right? 
I didn't see it as a coincidence. I saw it as God looking at me and, and maybe all of us and just go, I got you, don't worry about it. So I took my car to the auto body place. I dropped it off for a couple days. I came back and the guy handed me uh, the, the, you know, the keys back to my car and he said, no charge, it's all covered, it's all paid for. By the way, we couldn't fix it so we gave you a brand new car. No, that didn't happen. But my car looked new. It was fixed. It looked brand new. But what Paul is telling Titus in this text, what Paul teaches us over and over and over, it would be like you go into the body shop and they didn't just fix your car, they gave you a new car. Can you imagine coming out from the body shop and they're like, ah, we just gave you a new car. That's what God does for us. He makes us brand new. You're not just a fixer-upper. Through Jesus Christ, you are brand new. And I love that image that Paul explains to us over and over and over. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 9, no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins. What Jesus is saying is if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. He said, I wouldn't just put you in old wineskins. I put you in brand new wineskins so that both are preserved. Let me just close by saying God created you. God created us as Jesus followers to be peregrine falcons. He's given us a mission to be about. Growing disciples who grow disciples and planting churches. And I just want to encourage all of us today to be reminded again to not get distracted by the work that God has called us to. I know there's lots of churches out there filled with chickens. I've been to them. Maybe you have too. You get fed, you know, the, the, farmer comes, the farmer comes along and scatters the seed for the chicken. It's not us, folks. I've had people come to me and say, I can't be a part of your church. It's, it's a, it's a high-ask church. We are a high-ask church, and we make no bones about it. We are not a chicken church. We are a peregrine falcon church. And what that means, that every single day, God has called us to be about the hunt. Finding and seeking people who are lost, who are separated from Jesus. They don't even know how separated they are from Jesus because the culture has told them over and over they're fine. And so we speak about sin to people and what it does and how it separates us from God. But then we leave them. We don't leave them in that place. We say, ah, there's good news. Jesus has offered to make you new. This is how you do it. You just surrender your life to him. And when you do, he promises to make you brand new. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you are a God who comes to us and meets us and reminds us over and over of the extraordinary news of the gospel. Yet, God, on the one hand, we are sinful and broken apart from you. But Lord, there is nothing we can do without you. We are hated and we hate others. But God, there's good news. 
Your good news tells us, Lord, you've come to bridge the gap. Not by anything that we do, but you've come by your mercy. So, Lord, even though we don't deserve it, we receive it. Today, we receive it tomorrow, we receive it every day. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.